Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Vlad, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. It is great to be with you this morning, and um, it's also emotional, thinking about um, just a few days left here in this call at Prince of Peace. And so before I begin, I just want to say, I love you. I love you. Our gospel reading for today, Matthew chapter 17, begins uh, with the words, um, six days later which has us beg the question, well, what happened six days prior? And if you were reading along in Matthew chapter 16, you you would know, um, but you might not have your Bible with you here today. Six days prior to the story we read um, this morning of Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up Mount Tabor, where the transfiguration happened, we know that Jesus was with his disciples in another region, a region called Caesarea Philippi. And um, I I can't think about these locations and regions. I'll never think of them the same because we visited them as we were on our Holy Land trip. And as Jesus and his disciples were entering Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked his disciples um, a question, sort of the central question. Who do people say that I am? And what's interesting about the question Jesus asked his disciples is the reality that they had been following Christ for well over two years, close to three years at this point. But Jesus is still curious. Who do people say that I am? But what's really interesting is that Jesus asked this question where he does. Context matters. And we visited the site that it's believed Christ asked the disciples the question. It's Caesarea Philippi, and it's right in front of this large rock face carved into the side of the mountain that at the time Jesus and his disciples had walked past it was a a popular spot devoted to pagan gods. And in the side of of the rock, in the side of the hill, you can still find little edifices carved out to certain pagan gods, Roman gods, Greek gods. And at the time Jesus walked through there, there would have even been short little monuments or temples built out of the rock face. And today, as you visit the site, you see the columns and the large stones, the marble and granite that are just strewn about. It's a remarkable site to visit. But I find it interesting that Jesus wants to know who people say that he is as they walk past all of these other false deities that people had worshipped. And Peter answers, well, some say you're Moses and some Elijah and still others a prophet. And as they continue to walk, Jesus then says, who do you say that I am? And it's right there in the, in the context of all of these other things that people were worshipping that Jesus declares Christ as Lord and Messiah. Now, there could be a whole sermon in the reality that Peter declared Jesus Lord only after following him for multiple years. I I find that very 
comforting to those of us that struggle with doubt or disbelief, that wonder who God really is, who Christ really is. There's great grace in that, isn't there? Peter had to follow and listen to the words of Jesus. He had to see the miracles that he performed. And and yet still, it took two and a half to three years for him to be able to declare, you are God's son. You are the Messiah. And Jesus responds upon this rock with the backdrop of a huge rock. (laughs) I will build my church. Upon the rock of your confession, upon the rock of this declaration, the church will be built. And what Peter declared at Caesarea Philippi, Peter, James, and John would fully experience on Mount Tabor. So from that region, for six days, they walked back down into the valley. And today in Matthew 17, we hear the story of how they went up Mount Tabor. And as they were walking up the mountain, I couldn't help but think this last week as we were ourselves on the top of Mount Tabor, what were the disciples anticipating? Now, they would have known the stories of how God had acted on mountaintops. And so I wonder if they were anticipating God to do something remarkable on the mountain with Jesus. Certainly, they would have remembered or recalled how God came and gave the law to Moses on the mountain. Our reading from Exodus this morning told the story of it. How Moses was on the mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights, and there God appeared and gave Moses the law. And we know the story of how Moses comes down from the mountain and his face is as bright as the sun. And when he turns toward the people, the people have to turn away, right? Because it's, it's too much, it's too glorious for them to behold. Or maybe they're recalling the story of Elijah and how on the mountaintop, another mountaintop, Elijah defeated all of the prophets of Baal and and the fire came down from heaven. Or maybe they're just thinking of the hillsides and the mountaintops they've already been on with Jesus. In Matthew 5, we have the hilltop of the Beatitudes where Jesus gives His most famous sermon, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Or maybe they're imagining Jesus on another hillside as he breaks loaves and fish and and distributes it to the multitudes. But what we know happens on the mountain that they're with Jesus on that day, I don't think they could have ever expected. They're on top of the mountain overlooking this beautiful scenery, when suddenly there appears Moses and Elijah, and they're talking with Jesus. And Peter, Peter is overcome in the moment with this joy. And Peter begins to think, it is good for us to be here. And so he approaches Jesus, let me build three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and we can stay right here. Because in that moment, the full divinity of Jesus was revealed to the disciples for the first time. 
You see, six days prior, Peter declared Jesus Lord, but now it is evident. I can see that you are God. Your face is shining bright. Your clothes are dazzling white. All the radiance, all the glory of heaven is now on this mountain. Why would we ever want to come down from here? And then a cloud envelops the mountain and a large voice cries out. And it repeats what was spoken at our Lord's baptism. This is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. When I was on Mount Tabor with the folks on the trip, I found a little bit of time to wander and look and just take in the scenery. And it was there that I was overcome with this emotion Because thinking of the disciples' experience, and particularly Peter, it really resonated with me. It still resonates with me this morning. This inclination to want to stay right where you are. To want to bask in the glory of the moment. It is really hard to leave Prince of Peace Lutheran Church. I genuinely say that. I love you. I love this church. And like Peter, there are huge parts of me that just want to stay. It's not an exaggeration to share that I truly feel that the 10 years I've spent here have been a continuous mountaintop. There have been days that have been hard. There have been seasons of our ministry together that haven't been easy, have been challenging I would not want to repeat 2020 and 2021, (laughs) the years from COVID. But yet through it all, day in and day out, I cannot look back at our time together and wish that I had been somewhere else. I have loved every moment here. And not on the top of Mount Tabor, and so many other moments in between, I have felt this pull to just want to stay. I've been struggling, really, since late August, early September, when this call process began for me at Good Shepherd. Entering into it, trying to be faithful uh, to the Spirit's call and, and, and God's plan for my life, but all the while being a little bit defensive. My very first interaction with the call committee there, I told them, I said, I don't need a job. I'm very happy where I am. Ministry is fruitful. I love my congregation and I feel beloved. And so I need to know very clearly that this is what God wants for me. Not just something that I want. And all through the process of interviewing at Good Shepherd, I had a close mentor giving me advice. And I would call him from time to time. Before the first interview with their call committee, I remember asking him the question, uh, what, what good, thoughtful question should I ask them that would help me discern if this is right? And after the, or before the second interview and before the third interview and before I met with their church council, I would ask him the same question each round. What should I be asking? What should I be thinking? What should I be trying to sift out for clarity and Every time he gave me the same 
response. And it really frustrated me at the time. He said, just listen for the voice of Jesus. You can ask a million brilliant questions, but your responsibility as a disciple, discerning God's call on your life, is to listen for the voice of Jesus. Listen for the ways that Christ is calling you or sending you. And I can share with you that through the process, I have heard the voice of Jesus calling me to a new adventure, to a new responsibility, to a new community. But it doesn't erase the tendency of my heart to want to stay. Lord, it would be good to stay here. This all came to a head for me the first weekend our Ukrainian family was here with us in worship. Maybe you remember it. It was at the end of my call process, and internally I'm just sort of confused. I'm a mess. I don't know what you want truly, God. And we're gathered here in our 1030 worship service, and it was a mountaintop experience. Maybe you were at that 1030 service. There was something truly special about it, at least for me. The congregation at 1030 was packed. It was nearly standing room only. All of our community wanted to come and meet our Ukrainian family. There were people out in the gathering space talking with one another, sharing coffee, reconnecting, hugging, embracing. There was our family that we had prayed for and we we had worked so hard to, to make ready a home for. And during our children's sermon, there were 30 to 35 children sitting up here joyfully. And as I looked back at our congregation in the middle of the service, I saw so many of your faces, people who have been faithful to the ministry here, saints. And then there were other faces next to you, faces of new people who have just come into this congregation but are catching wind of our vision, that our mission is to live and love like Jesus. It, it truly felt special. The music was touching my heart in such a remarkable way and I'm standing right here at the 1030 worship looking up at the cross, reflecting nearly in tears and this little angel on this shoulder said, Lorne, why would you ever want to leave this? It is good to stay right here. And the moment that I knew that Jesus was truly calling is because in the very next breath, a little angel on this shoulder said, because you have to listen to my voice. Sometimes listening to the voice of Jesus is difficult. It requires us to come and follow and to leave the places of comfort, the places where we've been known, where we feel safe, where we know that our gifts are affirmed. You see, that that longing inside of Peter, that longing inside of myself is a longing that resides in each of us. We, We often want to stay exactly where we are because it's familiar, it's known. And yet, a life of discipleship, a life of following Jesus, is a life of continually trusting in God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy, to step out of our boat, 
You see, this wasn't the first time that Peter, James, and John had to be reminded to move out of their comfort zone. Think of those sons of Zebedee as they were packing up their nets on the, uh, on the, on the side of the, the lake when Jesus invites them to get out of their boat and to come and follow. It took a bold step of courage and faith to get out of the boat and to follow. A life of discipleship is not a life of comfort. It's a life of trust. Now, I am excited for the opportunity ahead with Jesus, but I'm also grieving what I've known. The question for each of us this day, as we wrestle with this call of discipleship, is to really examine those areas of all of our lives where our tendency, our inclination, is to remain safe. A life of discipleship is not a life of safety. It's a life of adventure. It's a life of trust. It's a life of following Jesus where Jesus wants to lead. And you might not be discerning a career change or a pastoral transition, but I guarantee that there are areas in your life like there are in mine where Christ is saying, get out of the boat. Take my hand. Come and follow me. I will lead you, I will guide you, I will be with you every step of the way. And as disciples, we can then step out of the boat or take a step down the mountain, uncertain of the path ahead, yet certain of the one whose hand holds us. And that, brothers and sisters, is a faithful life of discipleship. You see, as soon as Peter tells Jesus, it's good for us to stay here, a cloud envelops them, and the voice cries out. And what does the voice tell the disciples to do? Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Well, what is the very first thing Jesus says to the disciples after they've been told to listen to him? Do not be afraid. Get up. Come and follow. Do not be afraid. I am not necessarily preaching that to you this morning as much as I am preaching that to myself. Do not be afraid. May you cling to your faith in the crucified and risen Lord. And may you know that God loves you, and I do too. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.